Welcome to episode two of F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen with host Matt Payne. Today's guest is Erin Babnick. Uh, she is one of the coolest landscape photographers that I've ever spoken with. Um, she is sort of based out of <laughs> Berkeley, California, but spends most of her time uh, traveling the world and teaching workshops. Um, she spends a lot of time in the Dolomites um, and in Europe and Death Valley, um, pretty much all over the world. Um, she is just fantastic. Um, one of the, just the most intelligent, um, and thoughtful people that I've, um, spoken with. Um, I found out about her through just following her writing online. Um, and, uh, just love the way she writes, love the way she thinks about photography and how she weaves in um, all these really cool concepts um, of art history and things like that. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. Enjoy. got mine for like ninety dollars on amazon Whoa, or something. that's great <laughs> yeah it was like on sale too i was like sweet so yeah well this is cool like i'm in colorado and you're in italy no i'm actually in slovenia at the moment oh <laughs> slovenia <laughs> i was in italy two days ago <laughs> ah, i've never been to either location so that's oh really awesome. No, I've only been to Europe. I've only been to Europe uh, one time, and that was a uh, Ireland for like two weeks. And then the 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 day I got back from Ireland, I met my wife. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, so my my traveling sort of took a pause. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, that's cool. So, um, well, thanks so much for agreeing to to do this podcast. It's kind of a it's a little project I've had in mind for a little while now, so yeah. Well, thanks for thinking of me. Absolutely, I like good podcasts. I do a lot of them; they're fun. Yeah. So um, it's so funny. Um, I guess I started. I was into listening. Started listening to podcasts. I don't know, like twenty twelve, and which is like I think pretty early. <laughs> and there was only like one podcast that I could find on like iTunes or Stitcher about uh, photography. And it was um, the candid frame. I don't know if you've heard of that no, one. I don't know that one. Yeah. It's this, um, I can never say his name, right? It's like, uh, I'll, I'll just, I'll butcher his name, but it's a really cool podcast. Like uh, Jay Patel and Verena Patel have been on there. Uh huh. Um, and he just interviews all kinds of photographers, not just landscape photographers. Um, what's it called again? Uh, it's called the candid frame. The candid frame. I'll have to, is it it still going? Yeah. He's got like, I want to say he's got like three or 400 episodes. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. It's, 
I subscribe oh. to everything I can find because I do so much driving and it's such a great way to pass the time in the car. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's why I did it. I think I was on like vacation in I think I was in Kauai, like sitting by the pool and like uh find something to listen to. And that was like the only photography one I could find and then um I kept trying to find a good one about landscape photographers and maybe I just wasn't looking in the right place because I was like, I'm going to do this podcast and I'm going to interview a bunch of landscape photographers. And then I started reaching out to all the landscape photographers that I like. And they're like, oh, have you heard of this one? I'm like, no. <laughs> I thought I was I thought I was finding a niche and I didn't. But oh well. <laughs> and there are new ones popping up all the time. Yeah, it's, it's a... It's a fun medium, I yep. think. Um, so I think I, I'm i trying to remember um, how I discovered you. It must be, we, we must have some friends in common or something on Facebook. Because, um, you know, I, I've been friends with, um, like, Sarah Marino and um, David Kingham. and Yeah, David's um, great. I've traveled with him before. Yeah. And I, you know, I probably just, they probably just like linked to you or something. And I started following your, um, I think what originally, uh, drew me to you was your writing. Um, cause you know, there's a lot of great photographers out there, but there's not a lot of great photographers that can also write. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I love writing. Yeah. It can, it shows, um, your writing is fantastic. Thanks. Um, and I don't know, like, I think that's one of the reasons I like Sarah Marino too, is like her writing is just really spot on. It's really yeah. candid. It's um, honest. Um, Thorough. That's what I think I'm going to think of Sarah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you saw a recent one about um, preservation. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much work. And the one about females. I don't know if you've talked to her about the research that she had to do to put that together. Just insane. <laughs> no, that's... Um, I I read it, but I didn't. I haven't talked. Yeah, she to her actually about it. like um you know like vetted every single portfolio, and she went through hundreds of them, wow. and then yeah, and then she had to deal with um all kinds of sort of pushback about you know people who weren't included. <laughs> it was just a lot of work. Oh yeah, I bet. Um, actually, I'm thinking I probably first discovered you through 500 PX. Oh, that could be. Yeah, back in the day, I was kind of a darling of that site, but I don't even post there anymore. Yeah, I don't know many people that do. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really lost its luster, unfortunately. It was cool yeah. while it lasted. How did you get involved with them? Weren't you um, editing for them or something? Um, So funny. Um, I was living in Portland, um, and I think I, I posted there. I post there... I was posting there a few times a month, but not a ton. Um, and I just happened to see that um, they were doing uh, like meet and greet in Portland. Uh-huh. And it was at a it was at a pub like two blocks from my apartment. And I was like, oh, I'll go check that out. And um, the co-founder was there, uh, Avigny, to butcher his name. to it Ogany? To, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I always butcher her. But he's name, out right? now. I think all those guys yeah. are out. Yeah, except, yeah, I think Andy Yang's left, but um but yeah, I met him there. He was and like it was really cool just engaging with him. Um 
And then, I don't know, like, he reached out to me after that um, and asked me if I wanted to be a guest editor. Oh, cool. They just they yeah. just started up that guest editor program. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure. And I would think I was like their second or third guest editor, which was actually like really fun because you just kind of went through and like, like, here's a photo that's never been uh, editor's choice and I'm going to pick it because I know it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That may have been how you heard about me because Michael, I think, was their very first one. Michael Shanbloom. Yep. I think. Yep. And um, he did like, he not only did the editing, he also did like a blog post where he chose, I don't know, like three or four of us to feature in addition. And, oh, sweet. Yeah. And so I know that that got that got around quite a bit. Yeah. So how did how did you get in with, with that crowd? Because I think is is Shane Bloom part of that Area 51? Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that might even be how I met him. Um, yeah. That that died a quick death years ago, but um, he was in that, and um, he lives in San Francisco, and I have I keep an apartment in in Berkeley for the few weeks per year that I'm ever here ever nice. there. Um, and uh, he and I became really good friends, and we travel a lot together. And uh, yeah, so we're buddies. But 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 at that point. Um, I don't know if I'd even met him yet at that point. And I think I only knew him through through the the Area 51. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I um I found out about that cuz um Michael Bellino um was like one of my good friends in Portland when I lived there. Um and I think he's in that group. Um Yeah, Michael was in it. Yeah. As far as I know and it then, still exists, but nobody posts anymore. It, it, Right. It really just sort of came to a quick halt. I left in 2014, 2015, something like that. And I guess it was sure. in 2015. And um, I was the, Ted Gore and I were the administrators of the group. Uh -huh. And we both just became far too busy to keep it going. And um, so when I left, I uh, that apparently was the last nail in its coffin. <laughs> so there was nobody to really keep it going anymore. You're the glue, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, tell me that. So that actually is one of the kind of topics I wanted to talk to you about. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of the premise of that group and um, how did that start up and what kind of what what was your guys's kind of goal in mind? Um. Well, it started because um, this was, we're going way back now. I think this would be early 2014 because, are we actually recording now? We are, we are. <laughs> okay, I didn't realize. I thought we were just sort of having a little pre-chat here. Um, yeah, Brilliant. so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Ted uh, wanted to start a little group where we could um, have a, a really uh, intimate um, sort of artist salon style format for critiquing each other's photos. And he started inviting and it was invite only and just the people he who he thought were the best of the best. And so eventually we had a pretty, um, pretty impressive group of photographers there who really were putting a lot of effort into helping each other, mm. um, uh, you know, really think through some issues with their photos from everything from composition to processing to all mm -hmm. sorts of things. And it really did have something that 
was not existent anywhere else online at the time. There were... Right, like, because NPN died, right? Yeah, but even that, um, because of the public nature of it, I think it Mm -hmm. put a different emphasis on, on the critiques and some cases this because of it the the feeling of it being kind of safe and not something that the whole world was going to see um, I think was much more open people felt like they could um, air their dirty laundry in a way that they wouldn't want to otherwise and uh, so I think it it just had a really neat um, dynamic that I've never seen anywhere else the other great thing about it was that um, we had a rule that you had to participate. So if you were in the group, um, you, that meant that you had to post photographs and you also had to um, critique photographs or else you would get kicked out of the group. And there was a limit of only 51 people. That's where we got Area 51 from. Yeah. So if you wanted to hold your spot, you actually you couldn't just be a fly on the wall. You couldn't be, you know... Um, you know, the got up on Mount Olympus observing from on high <laughs> and only, sure. um, you know, only critiquing or anything like that. You also had to put yourself out there for the same. Um, and because it was so high end, and I mean, it was these really were the best landscape photographers that we knew that we could get Absolutely. in touch with. I, I mean, I, um, I mean, I know most of the names in the list and I would agree. Yeah. So it was it was the sort of thing people wanted to to stay, you know, just if for no other reason, just to sort of watch it because it was pretty fascinating. Uh, so people made an effort, um, and that was great for a while. But slowly, you know, what happens with with generations of photographers is we start to become more professional. Some of us, and as we do, you basically all of your time just gets. Uh, you don't have that much free time to do that sort of thing, and and that's what happened. I think with most of us, we were getting increasingly professionally involved and just strapped for time and doing something like that just is low priority for sure yeah yeah um so was it just on um 500px then and facebook um that was only facebook yeah that was a facebook group so it was one of these you know secret private things that you couldn't find right and we got but then you guys would like so I guess how I found out about it um, was like, I think you guys decided, um, I don't know if he was in your group or it was like someone you guys all knew, but like he had uh, passed away and you guys like wanted to do a tribute for him and draw attention to his, um, I think it was kind of like a GoFundMe or something like that. And so like you guys all basically figured out how to make all of your photos like appear um yeah like on the front page of 500 px like and like you had links to his gofundme page or whatever yeah that was pretty cool that was um that you know jeff was my that was jeff swanson he was my original bro tog (laughs) you know that (laughs) term like he was really my first um close photography friend and we used to go traveling and shooting together a lot way back when i mean we're talking like 20 10 2011 probably something like that sure and um he um had a valiant battle with melanoma and succumbed to it actually fairly quickly Ah, Uh, that's good yeah yeah but it was it was a really a horrible thing that he went through um you know during that time but nonetheless um, yeah his his suffering did come to an end pretty swiftly but in the most horrible way right and um 
that really, uh, Jeff was one of those people who really did stand out as being probably one of the most life-loving, really positive, genuinely funny and kind people you can imagine ever knowing. I mean, when people say, oh, you know, this guy seems too alive to be dead or whatever, like it really was true about Jeff. Right. And he touched a lot of people in that way. People really thought of him um, as, you know, as just this, this incredibly endearing person. So we had no trouble getting a whole lot of people on board to put out um, an effort to raise some money for the Melanoma Research Foundation. And I first reached out okay. to Smug Mug because I knew some people there, and they generously offered to um, do a, a tribute site for two years um, so that we could have some place for the money to go. And that is um, awesome. yeah, that was really nice of them. And um, and yeah, so we did this little 500 BX takeover to gain um, <laughs> visibility for the cause. Yeah, I I mean. I, I remember that day for some reason it just stuck out to me like it was um I had like two visceral reactions at the same time <laughs> like, <laughs> like one was like wow this is amazing that all of these people came together um to play tribute to this guy in like such a powerful way um and and it's like all of the best photographers in the world <laughs> And then my other reaction was like, and holy crap, how did they figure out how to do that? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, we, well, we had done it once before just to be punks, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh, the, year, the year previous, uh, we were just being silly and messing around, and we thought, wouldn't it be funny? Um, I don't really remember exactly how we figured it out, but we thought, let's all post at exactly the same time. And um, we'll all com comment on each other's photos because I think it was pretty well known that that's how you increase the visibility of a photograph. And since these right. were a lot of, at the time, some of the bigger accounts on on that site, um, you know, chances are pretty high when you have a lot of high-end accounts uh, suddenly commenting on your photo that it's going to get a lot of visibility and it will do sure. better than it would otherwise. And so... Um, we did that, and I'm completely forgetting what the premise was, but I think it was from no other reason just to be obnoxious the first time we did it. <laughs> and uh, and then the, the year later, we thought, well, okay, so that worked really, really well. Let's do some good with it this time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so maybe I think that's a good segue. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about um, was kind of like, I guess – uh, how do you leverage networking? Because I think one of the, um, you know, we're in, what is it, like uh, Internet 2.0 or like in 3.0 now or whatever. It's like <laughs> social media plus or something. Yeah. But like um, it seems like, um, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty regular uh, poster and interactor on Instagram. And I've noticed like this trend of, um, accounts that just out of nowhere just gain huge popularity. Um, and then you, you know, you hear kind of people have these methods of like, oh, they have like these scripts and these bots that, you know, like search for hashtags and post comments on those, ha any photos that have those hashtags, you know, like all these kind of 
techniques to game the system. Yeah, I just saw a post about that on Facebook yesterday. I actually don't even know how any of that works. And um, yeah, <laughs> or if it even does work. I've heard that I didn't read all, all of that. But I've heard that that actually does more harm than good to the people who employ those um, methods. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but I have noticed that like, um, sometimes the uh, quality of people's photos doesn't always equate to like their follower counts. Yeah. And it's fascinating I mean, to me I, how that I'm works. I'm certainly no social media juggernaut. I travel way too much to really be that involved with it. And fortunately, uh -huh. that's not where most of my reach is anyway. But what I have learned about it is that um, uh, there are the four C's apparently, and I, I can't recall what they all are but it's something like um consistency consistently create compelling content i think that's it that sounds um, right yeah that's the formula for social media so the the content just has to be consistent i think is the most important um point and it has to be compelling enough you know it, it, it can't be um uh complete um dross <laughs> but you know it has sure. to be compelling enough and that and and that that's kind of it um, so if you have the time or you can hire someone to um, really, uh, you know, get stuff out there for you regularly and keep posting constantly, um, that alone will do wonders for a social media account. Um, sure. I'm not one of those people. I just can't. I'm, I don't have that kind of output and I wouldn't want to. It's just not not what I do. I don't hold it against anybody who does. Some people, they are high producers. They're more about the quantity and they're more about sort of getting off some sketches of things they're talking about and what they put out there. It doesn't have to be something that they've agonized over for a month like I do. You know, um, sure. I just have a different approach. I put out, I, I definitely have a less is more approach. And in some cases, it's working inexplicably well for me. For example, my Instagram account, uh, is is oddly it's it's a it's a very bizarre account i haven't i've i have 28 photos on it <laughs> and i gain over 100 followers per day and i don't do anything on that account i mean i occasionally jump on huh. there and put a little story up i've been doing that a lot lately but i don't um i don't post and i rarely even have time to i rarely have internet connections you know so i can't really be that that active on it and somehow it just keeps going facebook's another matter um for a while there um you know facebook was a great way to reach people um and same thing there i just my account took off i've not had it very long i've only had it uh, about two and a half years and um it just it blew up and then it didn't <laughs> so and, and then there it stayed huh. and i've talked to a lot of people even with very large accounts who said uh they're going through the same thing facebook's just been throttling the reach of Facebook accounts to where growth is extremely slow now. Yeah. Yeah. I've been like, <laughs> I don't know. I think, you know, it's interesting. I think I've been like at 5,000 for like a year. <laughs> like it's yeah. whatever. There's nothing. I mean, unless you buy, I think they just want you to buy ads. Um, I one time I bought not an ad, but I, I did a boost yeah. uh, of a video and another time I did a boost of a photo. And uh, honestly, I didn't see any, any difference. So I, huh. I yeah. didn't, it didn't <laughs> seem to do anything for me. Yeah. So um, 
You know, it's interesting. One of the things that I think is true, but I could be completely wrong, um, and I'm curious about what you think. Um, what I've found is that um, not always, but but a majority of the time, a lot of the uh, photographers that are well known are oftentimes better marketers than they are photographers. Uh, there's there could be some truth to that. I, I think that anybody who's able to, I mean, out of those four C's, the content does have to be compelling. So people have to right. be operating at a fairly consistent high level to, to really do well. But, you know, pe- different people are good at different things. And s- some are those who are really, the, you know, the tortured artist type who are trying to create something that's, you know, going to be remembered in the history books. And then there are others who are just, you know, they're just having a good time and actually social media is fun for them. And that's what they excel at. And that's what they want to do. And so they play to that strength. Um, and, and I think it's great that there are a lot of different ways to enjoy photography. And I don't um, hold that against anyone. But I but I would admit that there are certainly people who are, are business minded, um, probably above mm-hmm. all else. And that's what yeah. turns them on and, and excites them. And so their content may be um, compelling to a certain audience. Um, but for the people who are looking at you know, what is really um, artistically um, innovative and, you know, maybe that's not the place to look. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I think, um, I like what you said about, uh, do people get into photography for different reasons and there's no reason to like, there's no wrong way to do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even the people who are, who are just self-professed gearheads, you know, more power to them. <laughs> right. If, if people are having a good time with photography, you know, they're a friend of mine as far as I'm concerned. I, I get those types all the time on my workshops, you know, the whole range. I see sure. people who are, they, they, that might be their way in. They were fascinated by the equipment and I've had people show up with hundreds of thousands of dollars of gear. I'm not kidding. Like all the phase one equipment and everything on workshops. I and, believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and and that that gets them in and then and then they learn more about the art and um and they blossom from there in other directions sometimes you know and uh that's really fun to see yeah no doubt um so uh maybe that's a good segue um one of the discussions that i wanted to have is um so you're correct me if i'm wrong but you're more or less a full-time Completely full-time. Yeah, yeah, I have been since late 2014. I have so, no other source of income. <laughs> right on. Um, and you were a, a, uh, you were a, like art history professor before that. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Instructor. So, I was never a full professor. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about that journey, um, about uh, how, how it is that you became a full-time photographer. Um, and like if someone else was looking to do that as well like how how would they even approach that well um i mean for me i'd been professionally involved in the arts my entire life in one way or another so um it's not like i just sort of flipped a switch and became a professional photographer i also was a working photographer for about five years Uh, i was doing other things i was doing assignment photography at first and um going to archaeological sites and museums um for 
you know, being sent there by other people, being paid to do that because I'd started doing that on my own to develop my own archive for teaching and research. And I got pretty good at it. And people realized that I could do things that nobody else was really specializing in or very few people were. <laughs> so that was kind of a little niche that I that I had going for a while. And, um, I, and because of that, I had a stock agency. And, um, you know, I just sort of slowly started getting into uh, more professional aspects of photography. And uh, at, at a certain point, when, at, long after I'd swung completely into the realm of landscape photography, people started contacting me for things I wasn't offering. So they wanted mm, workshops, mm -hmm. they wanted Skype sessions, they wanted, you know, think they wanted my book <laughs> that I that still I still don't have out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's darn book that I've mentioned in every podcast I've ever done. That I'm still working. On. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was obvious that there was like, um, you know, the iron was hot and it was time to strike. I could, I wanted to go full time with my photography. It was something that I just badly, badly, I knew that I was just dying inside, tr you know, trying to make it only part of my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I just did it. I just, at that point, I, I didn't have um, any kind of financial net it was actually very very risky for me i didn't have a safety net or anything i just it just, i just felt like i could do it and it seemed like the support was there so i That's... did it <laughs> <laughs> it yeah, was very so, very risky yeah. no doubt um so like how did you well i guess there's there's something kind of um inspiring about uh being 100% on the hook yeah. for like your own success, um, which I mean, I guess most of us kind of are anyway, but like when you have no other source of income, yeah. like it that can is be really so stressful. Scary. It's, it's <laughs> sometimes, it, honestly, it's, um, it's overwhelmingly terrifying. Yeah. Just the thought that, you know, this need, this has to work for me. This must, <laughs> right. otherwise so it's, it's going like to be really a, bad. A double-edged sword in a way, because, you're, it's. I feel like that would be extra motivation to succeed, which, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So you're probably constantly thinking about how to make that work. Yeah. And the flip side of it is it can be also terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's it's really I can't sleep. I get insomnia. I'm you know tossing and turning. You know, it's um, I've just I've been very very lucky and things have gone very well for me. I, all my workshops fill uh, so far so good. Um, I'd knock on wood, but I don't want to you know, knock the mic. <laughs> but, you know, I just um, sometimes though you know something will happen. I'll, I'll someone will cancel out of a workshop, and I only have. In a short time to uh, fill that spot again, and it's stressful, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, so far, it's it's all working out really well, and and I think that the key there is like any other business where you're self-employed or you're an entrepreneur of sorts is that you just have to be willing to work really, really hard. Um, it is. I, I I tell people that we are the busiest people in the world. The, the full-time photographers because it I think we are I mean there is just no time for vacation or any of that at least not at wh where I'm at right now I know other people they get to the point where they have a lot of products and they have a lot more passive income and I'm working on that but right now uh, I am sort of uh, you know because workshops are my main source of income I still have about a third of my income coming in from uh, my agency so 
I've got that, the stock agency. Mm-hmm. But uh, but for the most part, it's it's basically getting those workshops researched, taking the pictures, you know, to be able to promote them, getting them filled, and then showing up and doing them. And that's all my time. So it's very time consuming. And it's not the sort of thing where um, you have a lot of time for being social, for being with your family. Um, for being interviewed on podcasts. <laughs> Well, um, you know, that's, I think that that, that's just something I enjoy doing. But also, you know, you do have to put yourself out there. I I know some people who don't want to, you know, they're not um, comfortable with it, and they don't want to do podcasts. And um, I think um, it helps if you do, you know, any way that you can put yourself out there, and people can um, learn more about you and discover you, all the better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, unless you know you're not comfortable with yourself, but maybe you shouldn't be teaching maybe, workshops. That's well, the case. yes, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny. I get um, so I um, I know I'm interviewing you, but um, I I taught a few night photography workshops when I lived in Colorado Springs um, back in like I don't know, like 2013. Um, and, you know, I wasn't doing it to make money. I was just doing it to, like, have fun with people and show them how to do it. But, man, like, just the few that I did, I was like, this would not be easy to do all the time. <laughs> yeah, you really do have to love it. I just got done doing a series of five workshops back to back to back to back in the desert. Yeah. And that was, um, that's pretty nuts um, t- for six weeks long just to be doing that straight you really have to love it, and I, and I do. So I think it. The re, this is another thing I should have said when I was um, considering going into photography full time is that I was looking at all the things I really enjoyed in art history, and I was seeing that I could preserve every single one of them. Teaching being a big one, writing, yeah. research, travel, getting really dirty because I was an archaeologist. I, I specialized in, in ancient art. So, you know, all of the things that I that I used to love to do, being outdoors a lot, you know, traveling to exotic places, you know, all I could retain all of that and and uh and bring it over. But the teaching and is a big one for me and I really do enjoy that. So you have to want to not only be out there a lot with people, but you have to want to help them because it is about them. Yeah. And it's not about your photos at that point. And you have to really get off on seeing people learn and do better and you know that that the way they kind of light up when they learn something or when they become inspired you know I get people from all sorts of backgrounds I get professional photographers full-time professional photographers on my workshops and Mm. um, you know a lot of them just I've had some of them who are older say oh you know I just wanted to learn some of these new tricks that are coming that are coming up through the you know this kind of generation of photographers or whatever and and just to see or or they just want to experience a place that that I know well and just to see them get inspired and enjoy that and come away with amazing photographs you know that if if you find that rewarding, somehow six weeks of doing it doesn't seem so bad. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I think that was actually the best part about it for me was like you'd see the like excitement in someone's eye when they look at the back of their LCD yeah. for the first time and see something they've never seen before. And you're like, yeah, that's freaking awesome, isn't yep. it? <laughs> um, and they're like, yeah, show me more. And you're like, okay, here we go. Um, yeah. 
So one of the, you know, I'm in a Facebook uh, messenger group. I've been in it for like, I don't know, like three or four years now with a bunch of night photographers. Um, um, and one of the debates I'm always getting in with them is like workshops in general. Like I have this kind of personal love-hate philosophy about them. Um, it's just my own personal problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I thought it would be a good topic to talk about, maybe. And it's kind of like, I feel like there's this kind of um, conflicting, I don't know, like catch-22 issue with workshops where like the proliferation of and popularity of workshops has also made certain locations more popular and thus oversaturated um the which is not necessarily a good or bad thing i guess but it's made certain photos you know certain compositions or certain locations kind of like oh yeah i've seen that before a hundred times now yeah and then and then you see like the damage that's caused to Mm -hmm. the environment in those areas um and the the most the most uh the example that comes to my mind every time is um, there's this uh, spot in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon um, where you hike to this used to be like super unknown spot called Masi Grotto. Yeah. Um, and like I only have been there once. And the one time I went there, it was like trampled yeah, to hell. I've seen like, it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this like obviously there's just been a lot of people that came here. And it's I think it was pretty unknown until people started taking other people there and workshops and stuff like that. I could be wrong, but that was kind of my theory. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, Yeah, they're varied. Uh, I'm known for um, avoiding those sorts of locations. My portfolio has none of them, really. Um, But it's not because I really hold anything against them. I, I, I... enjoy seeing a fresh picture from a from a known location as much as anybody. It's just that I personally uh, feel more inspired when I'm encountering a place that either I've discovered on my own or that doesn't have, you know, the one comp, you know, like an area like the Mesquite right. Sand Dunes where you can you can work that for the rest of your life and <laughs> just keep coming up with new things. Sure. Um, and uh, the other side of that is that I... I have done a lot of exploring and, and discovering areas and popularizing them myself, and there is that sense of uh, of worry that I'm I'm going to contribute to the um, destruction of one of these places, mm-hmm. um, namely in the Dolomites. I've done a lot of um, well, and also some places in the Southwest. I've certainly done my share of um, finding stuff, and then people go looking for it mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. right like you can't help that right <laughs> yeah i mean i guess you know the, the thing would be I, I i do try not to bring people i mean i do actually you know, make a point of not bringing people to the more fragile areas that i know about um and i also um for obvious reasons uh do not um, include location information for for those sorts of places either when i post the pictures um, but, but yeah, I mean, some of these places are, um, incredibly interesting and the ones that don't seem particularly 
uh, fragile. I mean, you know, Mossy Grotto, I wouldn't have thought of that as a very fragile location, you know. But when you look at what has happened, who would have thought that all of those ferns would get trampled in that one part? And, um, you know, it, it's not a place that you really think of. So it's hard to say what part, what place really is fragile and isn't in some cases. Some are obviously fragile, but some, you know, it, it never would have occurred to me that so many people could go to a place like Mossy Grotto that it could actually kill off the fern population in, in a whole right. area, you know. Um, I don't think that ever would have occurred to me. Um, but, you know, I feel that it is important for people to learn from compositions that have already been done. I, I believe that's a great learning tool. So I, I encourage people to... Um, I, I take people to my own compositions all the time. It, it, there's a lot to be said for standing there, understanding the place. Now, why did I stand here and not 10 feet over there when I took the picture? Why was my tripod at this height? Why did I use the focal length that I did? And when people sit there and go through that and experience it, and they really enjoy it. And they get the thrill of seeing that they, they have been able to sort of work through that idea. And, and almost always, um, you know, they experiment with other ideas as well when they're there. And, you know, there, it's a wonderful way to learn. So I totally encourage people to do whatever it is that they're compelled to do. I've written about this um, a lot, but I think that one of the, the greatest ways to find your own voice in photography is to do what you like. And if what you like is something that's already been done, well, then work through that. <laughs> you know, that's, sure. that's a good way in. No, I <clears throat> I agree. I mean, I think... Um, uh, I think I have some similarities with you in terms of like, I, I like to go places where I've never been and probably most other people have never been or at least never been with a camera. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, it's really fun trying to find like that shot that speaks to you, but maybe not to anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause I mean, I've seen a lot of your photos of like, um, like the desert, like the cracked mud and stuff yeah. like that. And it's like, I bet, um, uh, most people would go to that spot and be like, oh, there's some ugly mud. Some <laughs> yeah. But then like, if you get really low and you use a certain focal length, then you like, uh, incorporate the composition in a certain way. Like it turns into this masterpiece yeah. and it's, yeah, you're right. I was like, it's really cool to see people like see that process. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, you're right. It's, that is one of the best ways for people to learn. Um, I just, I, I guess I just worry about, um, you know, as unfortunately, especially for landscape photographers, um, increasingly the the way to make a, a living is through teaching and what that means is that you're constantly having to take a lot of people out into the natural world <laughs> yes yeah which isn't the worst thing i mean i'd love i mean i like i think more and more people should enjoy the natural world but they, i think there's all kinds of you know responsibilities that come with that oh absolutely um i'm very careful to mention the fragility or the um, problems that might be involved with visiting an area. If we go to something, go to a place where, for example, we might leave footprints sure. um, that could ruin things for other photographers. It's not going to ruin the site. You know, for example, um, there's a big area of Death Valley um, called Cottonball Marsh that can get pretty muddy out there. And, um, you know, there are certain areas where we just, um, 
what I'll do is I'll make a little sort of super highway <laughs> for people to walk <laughs> out there. So everyone has to stay on that trail. And right. and I don't let them just go run amok and shoot wherever they want. You know, I'll just say, well, we have to, you know, we have to be mindful of the fact that other people want to come out here. One good storm will erase all of that. But until sure. then, it's going to be visible. Uh, it's like the, the racetrack where like people oh. are like driving cars out oh, well, there now. That's that's just horrible <laughs> and completely idiotic and disrespectful and wrong in every way. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um, I feel like um, with the, how much signal to noise ratio there is with social media and people wanting to make a name for themselves or be, or gain popularity, it, it drives people to do like really crazy stuff. <laughs> like, um, you know, ranging from, uh, you know, trampling the environment or taking videos of them doing really crazy stuff like those guys that toppled that rock in yeah. Goblin Valley mm-hmm. or out at um, the Haystack Rack, Haystack over off like Pacific City in Oregon. Yeah. yeah. But then, like, I think the same uh, mentality or thought process drives people to do some uh some would say i guess distasteful editing (laughs) okay um well you know so like um and i think i'm guilty of it but um you know like composites and um you know where you're like blending a sky into a scene where there was no clouds Uh uh-huh where you know and I, i it's just interesting to see how people um well, I'm glad They're you. Just, yeah, I'm glad you yeah, brought go, that up. Yeah. I actually have a lot to say about that. Love it. Go for <laughs> <Okay>. it. <laughs> um, well, I, I actually probably have a a, a, a more um, liberal view of that than most people do, or than I I would say most people who are willing to um, most people to are admit, willing it. To admit it. Yeah. yeah um, I my own approach to my photography is actually fairly conservative, um, but that's all relative. I, I don't go for outright sky replacements. I'm not creating fantastical scenes that don't exist. Um, but I am using some very um, sort of cutting edge techniques that are probably controversial to more old school folks, such as focal length blending or... Yeah. Um, yep. Even focus stacking or exposure. I mean, back in the day, not not five years ago, ex, uh, exposure blending was highly controversial. I think now even right. National Geographic accepts that, but they didn't. I think just about five years ago. Um, so uh, I, you know, I perspective blends. You know, I'm all in with all of that stuff. Um, but even though I don't do something like an outright sky replacement, to me, I I come from an art background. I was an art historian. Art has been the one constant in my life. And I feel that if someone feels like that's how they want to have fun and express themselves, then more power to them. Um, To me, art is a, is a, a vehicle of self-expression and that exists separate from any issues of competition or popularity or any of that that is that you have to just bracket all of that out I think and and when people are creating their art you just have to accept that they're they're doing what is fun for them and we can't really second guess people and say that oh well you did you really weren't having fun and you weren't expressing yourself. You were doing something that was going counter to what you really want to do or something like that and hold right. it against them because you think they had some kind of ulterior motive that was 
<laughs> I don't know. So I don't put that on people. I just say, go have fun. If you want to replace skies, have at it, really. Uh, to me, photo- uh, photography is not a sport. It's an art. So, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm very, um, I'm very set in this view that people should do whatever it is that they enjoy doing. And I encourage that in, it, with my students in my workshops all the time. And if, you know, people want to do crazy stuff, go for it. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. that if that's where your passion is taking you, it could lead you somewhere cool. The only way that anybody ever does something wholly kind of um, exciting and new um, in art is because they did something different, you know, or, mm-hmm. or they did something that if if everyone always did things that people thought was, was okay, and that you should, that you should do, because that's the way it's done, we would never have had things like cubism or mannerism or, or any of the more progressive movements in art. Right, or we'd all still be shooting film. <laughs> yeah <laughs> which there's still people out there that are purists around that but yeah yeah but, but even with film you know there was the the era at the late um 19th early 20th century where um uh pictorialism was quite popular and that was uh the whole idea of pictorialism was to uh put forward photography as a, as a respected art form, because back then it wasn't, it was seen as technical. And so those mm-hmm. people were doing everything they could to create unique prints. So that meant um, cutting and pasting, that meant um, in some way distressing the prints to make them look painterly, um, to do all sorts <laughs> of things that sort of ate the style of painting, because back then painting was considered a higher art. Um, so even with film, you know, there were all sorts of things that people used to do that um, would not be considered, you know, very much um, very straight photography. Right. I mean, I mean, even Ansel Adams. I mean, that's the classic mm-hmm. example that always comes to my mind. That you know, he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff in the dark room. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, he was, you know, he was pushing the boundaries. And if someone had told him, "No, you can't do that," <laughs> we wouldn't have those photographs. Right. <laughs> You know, it's interesting. There's, um, I feel like there's a pretty large community of photographers that um, are very against composites and very against, um, you know, do whatever you want. Is you know, and and, and it ranges from never do it. Um, that's just horrible. To like, you can do whatever you want, but you need to. Um, disclose that it's a composite, Mm -hmm. which I typically do if I do one, just because I feel personally that's my kind of belief. Yeah, Um, that's the other side of that whole debate is this issue of disclosure. Right. Um, And I I have a lot to say about that, too. Um, If if someone asks you how you did something, um, I feel like you should either you know, just tell them completely everything that you did, or your other option is to say nothing, but don't lie. Um, That's absolutely wrong. Um, But I I also think think it's, it's absurd, though, to assume that someone can follow their photo everywhere it should ever go and have a little plaque alongside it on the wall listing everything (laughs) that was done to it. You know, at some point, you have to say it's a it's an it's a work of art 
just accept it for that, you know? Yeah, and, and I if also, you don't like it, don't like it. Yeah, right, exactly. And I also think it's uh, actually a bad thing for people to have this idea that photography is somehow truthful, that it tells the truth, and that it has this kind of one-to-one relation with reality, because that's always done more harm than good. You know, when you have photographs as propaganda, when you have, you know, such belief in in you know, and seeing and is believing that you have um, girls getting anorexic because they think that people really look like those airbrushed oh, right. models that you see or whatever. Um, and and even like just as people that make memes out of like political figures that completely misrepresent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we show a yeah. book of, or like the I think the most the most recent one was like um, the Barack Obama. Uh, like they just photoshopped his suit backwards so it showed like it made it look like his flag was on the wrong side or something. Oh really? I missed that. Yeah and like people are outraged like he's wearing the flag on the wrong side of his suit and it's like they just photoshopped it. (laughs) Oh well yeah see that's the thing and people need to I think it's actually really healthy for people to be very suspicious when they see photographs of of anything like of that sort of a political nature, but even just in general, even an art photo, um, you know, just to try to appreciate it on an aesthetic level and, and uh, try not to press them so hard as documents of truth, because photography actually isn't very good at that. There's a famous photograph uh, um, uh, from, I think it's world war two that shows um, a couple of soldiers um, one is on the ground and a couple of soldiers are hold, propping up the propping him up and one's giving him some water and they're, they're you know it looks very tender and they're helping him out and everything well it's actually a crop of a larger image and when you see the larger uncropped version there's another soldier off to one side holding a gun to the guy's head so he's actually oh. a soldier it changes everything and that's just a simple crop and it and it, and that could be done just by framing you know so just you know, photography is is has always been about editing the world. It's always been a negotiation between self and what's out there. And I think that the more that people learn to accept that, the more they can just enjoy photography for what it can be, which is art, and and stop trying to put it in this other category because that's that has been the push and pull with the genre from the beginning since its inception. The people who want it to be art and the people who don't want it to be art. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know the whole the whole um, pictorialism movement that I mentioned came out of that concern that this is this can be art, whereas m- many people, it's always been sort of the stepchild of the arts. It's not really been taken very seriously. And so ever since that time, people have been trying to establish its seriousness as an art form. And I think this is a big part of it, this idea that it's in some way technical and documentary, and that without that, uh, photography has lost something of what makes it special as a medium. And I would say, no, what, what photography does well is gives you this sense of immediacy, this sense of the of what could be possible. Um, but that's very different from saying something that is the truth. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, well, that's, <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. That's really insightful, I think, for a lot of people to hear that, because um, it's one of the things I constantly am seeing um, on social media or whatever is people there are some people out there that just they can't 
accept the fact that it's just someone's expression of themselves or of the world that they see or the of the world that they want to show someone else and and that it's okay that it's um it's not what you saw like that's okay yeah um it's i i i i'm in i'm in this like I think it's a closed or secret group on Facebook where like all they do is share like super duper duper fake photos, uh, <laughs> which it's, it's mostly I'm just sure it's fun. humorous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's super like, it's like the most outlandish stuff you've ever seen for the most part. Um, but every once in a while, someone will post something in there and I'm like, actually that's pretty cool. Like, um, mm. Like I, that doesn't bother me at all. Like that's a pretty cool expression of art. And it's, it's funny how sometimes, um, people are really quick to jump on one side of that argument or the other. And I'm kind of find myself more evaluating it in the, from the middle. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of a pragmatist in general, but (laughs) I should add, you know, as a footnote to all of this, I have a huge amount of respect for people who don't want to do anything you know, any kind of Photoshop or anything beyond what might have been possible with the most basic methods in a darkroom. I know absolutely. a lot of people like that, and I hold absolutely nothing against them. I had a, a discussion not that long ago with um, a photographer um, who I won't name, but he said, um, he said, you know, I really want to be able to do those sorts of things to my photos. Um, but honestly, it pains me to so much as clone a pebble out of my photos. Mm. <laughs> and I said, you know what? Don't clone any pebbles out of your photos. <laughs> right. you, you need to do what you do. And if that's you, do you. And I'll do me. Right. Uh, so funny, because um, I think that was one of the biggest kind of aha moments I had, I don't know, maybe like three years into my photography adventure is like, I was just getting... And I still find myself doing it from time to time, but I have this, I can quickly remind myself to snap out of it, but um, it's really easy to compare yourself to other people. And, and that's like a really horrible, dangerous uh, path to start walking down because the, you're always going to find someone who does it better than you, or that has a better version of a scene that you've shot or has better editing techniques than you. And at the end of the day, this is art. And what's, in my opinion, most important is that you're doing it from your own vision and for yourself. Absolutely. And, and, and what I found is if, if, if you do it for other people, if you're trying to beat other people or you're trying to, um, you know, get more likes on Facebook or whatever, uh, it's, you're going to start feeling hollow. Like your, yeah. the artwork is going to just not serve any purpose for you. Yeah. And really, um, honestly, that person who's doing that is only cheating themselves. As far as competition goes, I mean, if they pr- created something that got a ton of likes, th- hey, they did that. They somehow they came up with that, you know, so they're right. not cheating. You know, they're they created something compelling um, and, you know, more power to them. But if in the end, as an artist, they feel kind of hollow and empty and they're not they're not feeling fulfilled. Well, they've cheated themselves. Right. Yeah, it's it's an interesting aspect of humanity that we're constantly comparing ourselves to others. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I think mean, there's anyone everyone, who doesn't do think... that. But you, yeah. have, you, you do have to just, and this is, um, this is another discussion I have with a lot of my friends, um, 
is is um those of us who like to do more quiet images on occasion um it's it's kind of stressful you decide well what especially those of us who are working professionally what do i do do i you know do i bother releasing this image it's not going to uh, be successful on social media. You know that. Um, you know, do I put it out there anyway? And sometimes I do. And and I say this to my friends, Tim, like, hey, you know what? It's not about that. You know, you're developing you. And if you think it makes a contribution to your portfolio, then you should just put that out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's something I'm constantly like, oh, do I post this or do I put this on my website? Or yeah. more often than not, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Sometimes I'm just like, why? Why bother? I mean, you know, social media has a certain, um, there's certain types of images that are just going to be more um, successful on social media. There just are. And so sometimes those are the ones that I'll put on social media and the rest just quietly go on my website. Yeah. And it's so funny because a lot of times what I've noticed um, is that a lot of the photographs that, um, that, tend to do pretty well on social media or whatever um you know like or on 500 pos like you know look looks best on black uh, <laughs> like the, every every time i read that i'm like if it looks really good on black it's probably not going to look really good on a wall yeah like, that's what i always true. think to myself like unless you've got a light shining on it yeah like they can't see it uh like it might look really good on the screen but unless you're like printing it and then illuminating the shit out of it it's not gonna yeah. you're not gonna see it true but then again you know but the I wall is darker images oh yeah me too and the wall isn't really the end goal for all, all photographs anyway it's not it's not uh that's another reminder that i think a lot of us should have more often is just because um it doesn't look good on the wall it doesn't mean it's you know it's not worth putting out there. Yeah. I mean, increasingly people are putting up big LCDs for display in their homes. Oh, and yeah, right. So, you know, those dark images, you darken the room and there you go. Boom, <laughs> like, it looks awesome. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, so, uh one of the things I've noticed, um it sounds like you like there's a few people that you tend to at least unless based on your posts on social media like a lot of the kind of the same type of people that you usually go out with like tj um and like ted gore and mm-hmm. um so and it sounds like you guys have a shitload of fun yeah we um, do. so uh just i was just hoping you could like throw out maybe one or two like really just kind of hilarious stories um from one of your adventures with those guys Oh, boy, I have so many of them. Um, a lot of them are only funny in retrospect because nobody got hurt at the time. <laughs> and others are funny at the, someone else's expense. But um, one that does come to mind uh, that's just total shenanigans was, um, and I won't name everybody, but I was with a group of people. And I will say Michael Shane Bloom, since we've already mentioned him, was with me. And he was he's sure. implicated in this. <laughs> We were up in um, in in Portland actually, and uh, we were on, going on a big trip throughout Oregon. And one of the photographers with us had this lucky bear that he kept in his car everywhere he went. It was sort of like a, a good luck charm. And somehow it was like a stuffed bear. And somehow it made it with all the gear out of the car and into the hotel room. <laughs> and uh, one morning he wanted to go shoot the Japanese maple tree uh, uh-huh. in, the, in the Japanese garden there. And we were kind of like, eh, we weren't really into that. So we all slept in. But at some point we were really craving 
coffee. And um, so we decided we would we would try to extort it out of him because he was out and we weren't. And so we <laughs> took the bear, we bound and gagged it with um, <laughs> like medical tape that we had with us, bound its little arms and legs, put put sort of a gag over its mouth, put it in the microwave, set it to 10 minutes, open the microwave, and uh, took a picture of it in there. And then we texted that to him and said, <laughs> Bring us back Starbucks or the bear gets it. <laughs> and it actually worked. <laughs> I'm sure it did. <laughs> but yeah, we had a really good time with that. Uh, but there are all sorts of things that, you know, in, in retrospect are kind of funny that like when Sean Bagshaw almost um, drove my Subaru into a lake and that's on, <laughs> on, uh, that's on YouTube on Zach Schnapp's channel. He, we were trying to get it up this icy hill and it slid about 100 feet back backwards and <laughs> Sean's there at the wheel. He said it was like being the road runner when you almost reach the top of the cliff and then you start falling backwards. Oh no. It was it was it was scary. Um the 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 bank of the lake there was it was very steep. So had he gone over that car was going deep. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. And it stopped just feet from the edge of the lake. Um and then there was a time when we got we were deep in Death Valley and we um got two flat tires and Oh yeah, I think I read about that one. <laughs> That's yeah, also yeah. on YouTube. We decided to make a comedy video about getting two flat tires deep in Death Valley. <laughs> so that's how we passed the time until the tow truck came. <laughs> That's like the worst place ever to get a flat tire, right? Oh, man. $1,200 tow. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the day that I got uh, my car broke down in the morning and my hotel burned down in the evening. All in the oh, same yeah. I read, about <laughs> so, I, re- I read about the hotel burning down. I didn't read about the car getting burned Yeah. Down. That's why I was at that hotel. My car oh, broke my down and my, my friends, Ted Gore and Rob Lafreniere, were supposed to go back to the airport that day and I was supposed to drive them. And my car's engine froze. It was like minus 26 Celsius or something. And the car wouldn't start. So it had to be thawed out. It had to be towed to this little town. And when I got there, um, I checked into a hotel. And within a, in an hour, uh, it burned down. <laughs> so, oh, my so God. And nobody got hurt. So in retrospect, I can laugh about it. It wasn't very funny at the time. But yeah, it's like you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> right. And you're like... What else is going to happen to me today? Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe I should go buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, that was, that was surreal. I had just checked in, and, and I was actually FaceTiming with a friend. And I was still wearing my robe. I just had had enough time to take a shower. And he's like, you know, the cat just ran away. I think he's afraid of the sirens. I'm pretty sure that's on your end. <laughs> I was like, what? And then it hadn't even occurred to me. I was just so out of it from such a stressful day that the alarm was going off in the hotel. And I looked out the window just in time to see 10 firemen running into the lobby. And uh, I thought, I should probably put some clothes on. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, just just as soon as I was about to put my shoes on, the, my door busts open and two guys run in. Senora, senora, the hotel is burning. You must go. It was it was pretty dramatic. Uh, did you have uh, any of your stuff in there? Or? I had everything. I had two weeks worth of photos on my cards. I had all of my gear. I had lots of expensive winter gear on my Gore-Tex and down and all that stuff. All I was able to grab was my I grabbed my purse and um, one of the guys saw my phone on the counter, grabbed that, and the other saw my passport on my nightstand and he grabbed that, and nice that was set. all I had. Well, what happened was the next day, 
rumors were running rampant that the whole hotel had burned all the way to the ground. Well, it turns out it was only it only burned about halfway down. Okay. And I was on the the first floor. And uh, in the next day, they were calling rooms. We all had to assemble in this one like side building to, next to the hotel, and all the firemen were there. And they would call out the room number, and then you would be told whether or not your room still existed. Or you know, <laughs> and if it did, you could go in and get stuff if the because they checked to make sure that the bottom part of the hotel was stable enough that people could walk in there. So they were pulling out all this molten stuff was going by this parade of like charred, you know, laptops and like just some stuff. All that was left from an, from an entire room was just like bits in a plastic bag or something. Oh, my yeah, God. And, I, and so I was fearing the worst. Then they called my name and uh, Cinto Quattro. And I, I went. <laughs> this was in Italy. And yeah. uh, I, I went in there and my room was like a time capsule. There wasn't even water damage in the room. The whole, Sweet. yeah, I know. The whole, the whole hotel was just like wet and smoky and charred and just going through the hallway even to my room. I was like, oh, this is not going to be pretty. And I opened the door and there, there, everything is exactly as I left it. Oh my God. Yeah. He must have been so I was, relieved. I, was <laughs> I mean, my gear was, is all insured and everything, but the pictures sure. weren't backed up. Right. So, yeah, I yeah. mean that's it's so funny because every once in a while I'll have like a like moment where I'm like, oh, what if my camera gets stolen? And like you're like, oh, well, I hope they don't. Maybe they could just send me my memory cards. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, that's really what I care about. I can't because it still works that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like yeah. Just keep the camera. Just send me my memory cards, man. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, that's, that's, that's a crazy one right there. Uh, so, um, so what you've traveled a a ton. So, um, what other places are kind of your, on your kind of bucket list for photo, for photo workshop or just to shoot for yourself? That's actually a, a really difficult question for me because it changes constantly. Um, I do like to get out to areas where I feel like I have a real contribution to make because not a lot of people are working them. Um, I happen to have an uncle who lives in Alaska and is a pilot and keeps telling oh, me yeah. to come on up there and he'll fly me out wherever I want to go. And he knows the guys who can land on glaciers and that sort of thing. And, and uh, yeah, I just see yeah, to- <laughs> to- uh, Toby Harriman just moved up there to do a yeah. lot of It's crazy. Toby's a great guy. I like Toby. Um, so... I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to end up exploring Alaska eventually, but also there are some other areas in the Andes um, that appeal um, just for personal work because I don't feel like I could probably take workshops there. And that's one of the things that right. is constantly stressful for me now that I am working full time and workshops are such a big part of my income is that sure. you, it feels really indulgent to go somewhere just to get personal work done. You yeah. know, where I'm like, I can't also, you know, work it out to where I can take people um, on workshops. So that's that's tough. I'm always sort of weighing the, well, that would be really fun for me, but it would just be a sort just of like glory shots. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's I've noticed um, some people, the way the way they do that is they they do like a ebook or something about like that location or or 
But then it's like, but then the, you're yeah, popular, popularizing yeah. it. or Well, there's that. But I mean, if most of these places are just very difficult and they take a lot of um, physical effort to get to. And those sorts of places, nobody's going to buy that book because most people want the drive up stuff or things that are fairly accessible. And it's if true. you tell them, well, you're going to have to hike for four days and, um, you know, fight off polar bears and sleep in sub-zero temperatures. <laughs> yeah. They may not want that book. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, going that's... to Baffin Island in, in uh, 2018. Oh. And that's, uh, I do know one person who's, who's taking workshops there, um, and a lot of people do the boat tour workshops, but where I'm going, uh, nobody's going to want to. <laughs> I mean, even, even for me, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that's... um. That's kind of where I'm at with my work is um, I don't like I don't like shoot a whole lot, like maybe once every month or once every couple months. Um, and it's just for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care if anyone likes it or not. But most of my stuff is like I'm in. So I live in Durango, Colorado. And so, you know, I'm like 30 minutes from like the best mountains in Colorado. And so... Like, I'm doing some crazy mountaineering stuff where I get up, you know, like 13,000 feet and photograph sunrise from the top of a, you know, class four climb. Yeah. Uh, and, like, the only people that like those photos are, like, people that have done that before. So yeah. my audience isn't very wide. Yeah. But you should keep uh, doing it because if that's what you do. I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I don't care if people like it or not. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's so, awesome. So, I mean, you get what I mean. Like, you know, not totally. that many people will do that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, how do you convince people, like, hey, trust me, like, you know, we got to do, like, a 15-mile backpack, and <laughs> yeah. we're gonna, we're not going to go to bed, and yeah. yep. uh, you have to sleep all night and shiver under the stars, <laughs> but you're going to get a really cool shot of the Milky Way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, Maybe, yeah. like, I remember the last uh, workshop I taught in Colorado Springs, I was teaching a, a meteor shower workshop. Uh-huh. And, like, I don't know what I was thinking because it, it was a geminid meteor shower, so it was in December. And, like, I'm like, oh, people are going to love this. Like, there's going to be so many people that sign up to do this workshop. And, like, one dude signed up. And I was like, well, I'm going to take him. And, like, me and this one other dude, drove out like two hours out of town and like froze to death together in the middle of the night. <laughs> and of course, like, like clouds moved in and it was just terrible. So like, but yeah, like I thought people would be all over it and like no one wanted yeah. it to. <laughs> well, I mean, for example, I teach a lot of backpacking workshops. They're all in the Dolomites and now I'm, I've just expanded to the French Alps. But these are, uh, these are tours where, you know, people have to, put all their stuff on their back and go out to huts. It's not even that hard, really, because you don't have to carry your tent or your food or any of the stuff that you oh, need right, right. for sleeping or eating. Um, but they do have to have, you know, extra clothing and more on their back, and they have to have it on their back for longer, and the hikes are uh, can be kind of steep in places. But they're never sure. more than about an hour, maybe two, as a destination hike. That's and not bad. It, I mean, for me, it's it seems very easy. And I've done that for so many years. When I started taking workshops there, I was surprised at oh, just yeah. how hard that is for people. Um, yeah. And, and these, these workshops uh, definitely fill much more slowly 
than the others. You know, I just did a couple of, um, I just started this new masterclass series. My first masterclass sold out in eight hours. So I, 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 uh, listed a second one. That one sold out in like 12 hours. I can list one of these Dolomites workshops and it can take months to sell that out because people look so at the what, brochure and think, oh, I got a hike. <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, what's what's involved in a masterclass workshop? Oh, those are fun. Uh, I stole this idea from the British. <laughs> um, <laughs> they use that term and, and they, they conduct seminars in addition to the shooting. So it's all the same amount of shooting and everything, but I also do seminars every day. So I have one on the history of landscape photography. I have one oh, on sweet. personal vision. I have one on So you're like a professor. Basically, it's great. Professor uh, Badnick. <laughs> because, you know, that's my background. I'm used to doing that. Yeah. And I, I absolutely love it. And people responded immensely positively to to the seminars they were they were obviously really touched and inspired um by that and that's and they're designed to do that yeah so it's it was great and i'm definitely going to keep the series going it was uh really and i kept the groups really small so it just had a really wonderful um intimate feeling and i think that um people got a lot out of it and the the feedback that i've gotten in the testimonials afterwards just outstanding yeah, um, yeah. the The idea of paying for a workshop has never appealed to me, but that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So we're uh, just doing so, them like outdoors. You know, we just have a little like you know sure. circle discussion out, out outdoors, and then we go shoot. It's great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Oh, aside from um, the processing session, which is in the conference room. Of course, of course. Uh, so tell me about some of your upcoming workshops. Mm, I have a lot of them. I have something like 15 this year. Um, I've already done, yeah, (laughs) I've already done a lot of those, but, um, let's see one really interesting one besides, well, I've got my Dolomite series and I do have some spots left on that. I've just started this year, a French Alps workshop, which will uh, happen in June. I have some spots there. Um, let's see, I've got Hawaii coming up with Ted Gore, we're, we're uh, about to announce the official dates and everything for that. Sweet. Yep. And um, one, of, but one of the more interesting and unusual ones uh, is uh, this Out of Acadia Landscape Photography Conference. Hmm. I've been doing a lot of public speaking lately, and so I got um, involved with. Um, well, I got introduced to the guy who runs the Out of Out of Chicago series, and he decided to do one of these events based completely on landscape photography and he wanted speakers so right, i'll do that but then he said and in addition what we're going to do it's not just a conference where people um give keynote speeches it's going to be we're also going to go out and shoot and we're going to have a lobster bake and there's going to be there are going to be <laughs> um seminars every day that are like critique sessions and portfolio reviews and processing sessions and we're going to have like 12 instructors and there's going to be like three or four um, options going at any given time. So it's sort of like landscape photography boot camp. (laughs) It's like, isn't that cool? That sounds amazing. (laughs) Hell yeah. I I was totally on board with that and and accepted without hesitation. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. That sounds awesome. Where are those at? That's, it's all going to be in Acadia National Park uh, the first week of October. That's in Maine, right? Yeah, in Maine. Yeah. Okay. So it just sounded like awesome. so much fun, yeah. So I'm taking two groups outdoors, and they limit the number of people that can go on. I think it's eight or ten or something that can go on 
on one of the outdoor excursions. And then, um, and then I'm doing, you know, every day, like in addition, like some seminar or something and, and a couple of talks where it'll be to the whole, you know, like a keynote kind of address thing. Wow. Yeah, I guess I've never, I haven't heard of a, like a workshop where then you get to have like a, like a, a critique of your portfolio. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, I have done that by request, but never, you know, in this kind of formal kind of a situation. So I'm really yeah. excited. That's amazing. And um, I have other things. I've got a bunch of a few private workshops. I've got Redwoods. I've got Oregon Coast. Um, so yeah, <laughs> a lot of. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. <laughs> a lot of workshops. Uh, so do you ever get uh, tired of traveling? <laughs> Fortunately, I travel well, and I always have. But the yeah. thing that really wears on me is trying to keep up with my business. That's the stressful part. Um, I, uh, you know, when you're off the grid a lot. A lot of the places I go, I'm not just staying in a hotel and I don't have internet. I have my phone, I'm in a tent or whatever, or I don't just, I'm in the mountains in a hut and I don't have a signal and it gets stressful when I know that I can't reply. I miss out on really good opportunities sometimes simply because I can't get back to people Um, or I'm, you know, just making people wait forever. Right. And that's, that's where it gets, I get tired of that. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time. I don't even remember why, but I emailed uh, Max Rive, mm-hmm. um, and like his brother replied. He's like, "Max is in the field for three weeks." <laughs> I wish my brother that's... would do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like that—that's what you need—is like someone to do your emails for you. <laughs> yeah, um, I am going to hire an assistant because I am at the point where I—I—I I, I just cannot keep up, and it's time. It's actually long past time. Yeah. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, I guess. You know, it's just that that too is just something I need more time to do is to find that right. person and, and get that going. And I don't have the time to find the person to help me have more time. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's one thing that every photographer I've ever talked to struggles with is time. I mean, like I work I work full time. I have a wife and a kid. Um, you know, my job is pretty stressful. So, and, and like, you know, biz, photography is kind of a little side business. And then I'm trying to do this podcast. And I also have a mountaineering website that I try to maintain once in a while. Oh, cool. And like time is just, yeah, <laughs> like there's just not enough time to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's so, why so many people get into products, you know, videos and books, because at least that right. is passive income and gives you a little breathing room. Right. You're not completely dependent on an an event yeah yeah that makes sense well cool um i don't want to you know keep you for like three hours here (laughs) it's been a long one (laughs) yeah usually about 20 30 minutes (laughs) um so uh what i'm asking all of my guests to do um at the end of the podcast i don't know if you saw the name of the podcast but it's f-stop collaborate and listen which of course is a little play on the vanilla ice song okay um I did not know that, but okay. (laughs) My wife came up with that. Uh, So if you like it, uh, she can take all the credit. And if you don't, then I guess I will. But (laughs) um, yeah, so um, what I was just asking people to do is just um, like whatever comes to mind um, in terms of what that tagline means to you or advice for other photographers. um, Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So go for oh, it. Oh, um, well, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe in both of those ideas, collaborating and listen. I think that art is the greatest never-ending, unfinished collaboration of all time. Um, and I think that it's important to think of it that way. Nobody is wholly original and just springs out of nowhere like Athena from the head of Zeus. You know, we all... <laughs> stand upon the shoulders of giants, those who came before us. It, it is a collaboration. And I think that we need to think of it that way. And that is the more most I've written a lot about this. Hmm. You know, I think it's really important to realize that, um, you know, looking at other people's art and acknowledging them and appreciating what they contribute to um, your own interests uh, is, is very healthy. And in fact, is the way forward. And that you do need to listen to other people, um, because uh, there, there, there is, and we, we've already talked about this a, lo a little bit, but um, there is that side of social media um, that can be very um, sort of condemning of of uh, a lot of aspects of photography um, rather than being encouraging. And I think if more people took the time to listen. Um, that maybe uh, we could all be helping each other and, and be more in that collaborative uh, zone more often. Absolutely. Well, thanks for that advice. I think that's, if anyone took that advice, they're well on their way to success. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so a couple of closing things. Um, so what, uh, one of the things I'm also asking people to do is, uh, recommending to me um other like one or two other photographers that you think should be on the podcast and then but if it's ideally someone that you'd be able to like uh network me with <laughs> yeah well um you know someone who has been one of my heroes um and who is actually very good at doing podcasts if you don't have him lined up already would be sean bagshaw um, he always has something interesting to say. Um, he's a great uh, teacher and mentor, and I look up to him a lot. So, And I could definitely connect you with him. Awesome. I yeah. think I have him on my list already, but it would be great to have a connect for sure. Yeah. So he comes to mind first and foremost. Awesome. Perfect. Um, that's good enough for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've been following him for several years, so that's for, for sure a good recommendation. Sean just has a lot to say. He's a really uh, 